Hello, and welcome to The Cage Equation with Malcolm Mickelson and me, Drake Mickelson. Each episode, we will assign where the blame lays and spoil a perfect Nicolas Cage performance. To apply the Cage Equation, we start with Cage's perfect 100 and subtract the Metacritic score, which gives us the points nicked, which we'll then split between the director, writers, and Cage stars. This week, we watched The Color Out of Space. And The Color Out of Space, the highly unlikable Gardner family is living out on a farm somewhere until a strange meteor lands in the middle of their farm and begins changing everything with strange flowers growing and also impacting the llamas that they're for some reason raising. This eventually leads to carnage, bright lights, and the entire family's demise. Um, I'm not going to go too much more into it other than that. It was a horror film. It starred not only Nicolas Cage, but Jolly Richardson and Madeline Arthur, Elliot Knight, uh, Tommy Chong was in there. It ran for 111 minutes, like I said. It had a budget between somewhere between 6 and $12 million. It made a whole million dollars at the box office, had a Metacritic score somehow of 70, which gives us 30 points nicked. Malcolm, how did you enjoy this movie? I thought it was the perfect Lovecraft movie, much like his writing. It was a really cool setup that kind of fizzled out at the end there. <laughs> also, how to make a million dollars? I didn't think it got released. And I thought this like straight to Amazon streaming or something. It was released actually technically in, 19, in 2019 at the Toronto Film Festival. I think it ran at just enough uh, theaters, so that like three or four theaters, so they could actually say it was an actual movie. And then it got put on Netflix. So who knows, who knows how much money it actually made? It was better than a lot of horror movies I've seen. Yeah. I was going to say, a million's not bad for a movie released that way either. Like, I think a lot of those smaller movies, like I've seen some box offices returns are like in the thousands total. Not even like the tens of thousands, like the thousands, like a dozen people went to go see them on a weekend and that was it. Yeah, we've actually talked about a couple of those movies on the podcast, like uh, Jiu-Jitsu and whatnot. I didn't really, I, I don't know. It's a horror movie. They all showed the meteor hit down. Uh, some bad things happened to the family. I think the, like the worst one was the mom and the young, the young son, who was the traditional creepy young son, I guess. I don't know. He wasn't even really creepy, though. He was just really, really bad at his job. I guess we normally start with, with Nicolas Cage, which he had two of my favorite things, which is where he's being a really bad father, like he was in um, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Yes. I think he plays that character of like, just awkward, not great parenting father really well. And then he used his accent from um, Vampire's Kiss, Kiss of a Vampire. I don't remember which way. <laughs> which I still don't know what that accent's supposed to be, but it's supposed to be his father being channeled through him, saying he'll never be a, a famous painter. He doesn't have the talent for it. Yeah, I, I, that was the most hilarious thing in the world when he's doing Vampire's Kiss right as soon as it came out of his mouth. It was... There's nothing else like that, like that accent. I still don't know what the accent's supposed to be. Which, by the way, what was Nicolas Cage's job in this? Did they ever say what his actual... I, I don't think so. I don't know. I Okay, let me say this about Nicolas Cage's performance. I saw what he was trying to do, and he split it up. But the problem was is they they put him in sh with these weird shots all the time and just left the camera on him when he was trying to shift between personalities and didn't do any cuts or anything. So it just looks like it it did it made even less sense. And they had no setup of what was going on in the movie. They had no setup of anything. So I could see what he was doing. He was being very normal and he's being very over the top. 
and it was yep. just back and forth and back and forth. So I saw what he was doing, and I even saw what the rest of the the rest of the actors were doing, but there was no setup to it at all. So yeah, he was really good. Um, he was very unlikable, which I think was what he was supposed to be. Was very unlikable. I don't think he was given anything to go with here. Yeah, so I, yeah, I thought he was. He did what he was trying to do really well. It's probably why he got a seventy, even with with the issues I had with it. I would but, say let's just go straight to um, the plot and the writing. Yes. I, I, okay, because I'm not even sure if that's the worst thing in the movie, but it is, it is not good. That the the pacing of the movie and the whole idea of what they did at the beginning. So I'd say the and the writing and directing probably go into both of this, but my first problem with this movie is the first half hour of it is nothing but him and his family just being weird and and awful people. So who cares? I I why were we doing this? Yeah, and they're like setting up like the awkward the he's he's a water scientist, the hydroponic scientist who also is a geologist who's also a an expert on astrology and met everything medical that was that was weird yeah it was uh was it? elliot knight played played him his name was ward phillips in the movie yeah he shows up at the very beginning he's supposed to be like the he's like the narrator of the whole thing yeah. he's the survivor of the entire of the entire thing i don't even know where to start with this the first first of all they could have cut out the first half hour i think any great or good horror movie knows that unless you're really good they're trying to do the shining is what they're trying to do is what they it was like that slow buildup where all this stuff happens and at the end. Oh my gosh, everything's gone crazy. The problem is, is the director, the director and the writer sucks. And so you, what do you if Stanley Kubrick is directing this film, okay, maybe you can pull it off, but you can't pull it off with whoever the other guy was that the director in this one was, was not Stanley Kubrick or even close to that. Well, yeah. And it kind of starts off pretty off the wall anyways. I mean, they've moved to a farm in the woods that was his dad's to become alpaca farmers is the reason why they moved out there. Well, I think the reason they actually moved out there was because the wife had cancer. Mm -hmm. And so they were trying to get her a peaceful place. Yeah. There's a lot going on that they over explain. You don't well, need this character over explains it too, because like during, so after the asteroid lands reporters show up and they're doing <laughs> an interview with him and they're like, tell us what happened. And he's like, well, me and my wife were about to, you know, uh have sex for the first time since the uh since the uh, and someone cuts him off and he's like starting to explain their sex life since she's had gone into remission from cancer <laughs> on tv um that's why the it's my, maybe my favorite part of the entire movie is in the bottom she goes how much have you had to drink and he goes well I, I had a few bourbon and it changes the subtitle from um it nathan nathan whatever their last name is to bourbon connoisseur underneath his name it like live updates his, his subtitle that was probably the best part of the entire movie it, like, it, it goes into whole bourbon is from texas <laughs> yes but yeah you like you've been saying the family is not a good family the mom is very judgmental of all of them but it's almost like she's never met any of her kids before like she seems very surprised that the oldest son's a, a pothead and she's very surprised that her middle child is into witchcraft and the occult, which, I mean, she has a Necromonicon and a giant occult poster on her bedroom door. It's like they've never met each other before the first scene where they're all together. 
We can go in there. First of all, the parenting lessons, I don't, when they think they're being bad parents, I don't notice them being bad parents. And then they talk, I don't want to become my father. And it's like, you didn't do anything. There's just I, at the dinner table when they had the whole first part. Then they move into, and this is probably because of the meteor. This is where it all, it all breaks down. Because when the meteor lands, it's supposed to affect their minds and start affecting time. That's affecting everything. But the craziest thing about this whole movie is the mom does the thing with the, the knife and chops her fingers off. The parents go to the hospital for the emergency room, okay, which is which is an hour away. They keep talking like an hour away is like this impossible distance to go. Impossible, yes. It's like most there's a lot of people live an hour away from a hospital. Even if they live in a big city, they can live an hour away from a hospital. They leave, they're unable to contact their kids the entire time for an entire day. And at no point does the mom or the dad go, There's something really wrong at the house. We need to get back. Then they come back and immediately start yelling at everybody. And then they seem to keep forgetting that the phone doesn't work at all. They keep telling people to call people. The phone doesn't work at all. And nobody ever says, let's leave. And I think this is all because of the meteor affecting them. But they don't they don't set that up at all. It doesn't, it doesn't explain it. It doesn't show it. And it doesn't in any way kind of make you know what's going on. Yeah, you're just kind of supposed to accept it. Like, oh, it's, yeah, it's happening. Yeah. What's happening? You don't know. It's just happening. Some great dialogue, though. So natural. I Yeah. Was that actual? I, it almost seems like he's making all that up. Um, yeah. The, the parents, I don't, the whole parenting thing doesn't make any sense. But then they, it all goes off the rails. Well, it's supposed to. But it never, it just never goes together. It never becomes, I don't know, never is a cohesive idea of what's happening. And even the off the rails stuff is not well done. Like. Even by uh, like kid logic, I mean that kid jumping in the well is pretty pretty fucking stupid. Yeah, for the dog. That was, that was maybe the dumbest moment I've ever seen in a movie. Where Abby's like, he's he's not gonna jump in the well for uh, for the dog. The well you can see the bottom of that doesn't have a dog in it. Mm-hmm. He's, he's gonna jump into that well, and then he gets sucked into a a time portal. He gets lost in time and space. Is that what happens? I thought that's what happened. I don't know. I, I could I could figure it out. I, I just, I, I played the Arkham board game. And so I assume that's what that's... ended up was lost in time and space. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes so much sense as everything else. Yeah, because the meteor, so I just tell you, the meteor is like supposedly rewriting everything into its own world. It's trying to create its own world around it of where it's coming from. At least that's what the guy at the end, the scientist who is brought in to explain geology and water tables and everything else is also, I guess, an astrophysicist and also an expert on alien biology. So here's where I'm going to give them the pass on it. They did, I thought, a good job of all the characters in H.P. Lovecraft. That's who they are. They're the scientists. They're the the witch, the occultist. There's just one person of each thing. I don't know who Nicolas Cage's character was supposed to be. Tommy Chong was the pawhead or i guess you call him maybe the shaman was kind yeah. of the role he was fitting almost a witch doctor like role because he was doing some kind of ceremony that again they never really go into and then his body kind of gets sucked soulless again never explained or touched upon again he just his entire life force is sucked from him by something there's something in the trees too do they ever show what was what was grabbing the uh sheriff in the trees or was it just I, the? Tree? it was just the tree grabbing him it was a tree had been mutated into a into a person eating tree. Ah, uh, so 
um, the alpacas turn into whatever the alpacas turn into. Which is kind of a, a bloody contra- concoction of alpacas all put together. Yeah, it's kind of take on the thing from uh, yeah. uh, the John Carpenter movie. Only the uh, the practical, or I guess they weren't practical effects. The effects were not up to snuff with the thing. The first thing they show you is a, a praying mantis, which isn't the worst CGI I've ever seen. But almost every other thing is is not well done. I got the the mom combining with the, the child into a monster is pretty well done. But I think that's where they spent most of their budget and time. Well, and then they shot around it, so they created a, it's a lot of practical effects. I mean, it's once again, it's a B movie. It's really good for a B movie, but I, I you would think I almost think it's because they got real actors in it. Then all of a sudden, they had to leave the whole half hour at the beginning in. Uh, so, oh my gosh, this guy's so bad. I mean, then there's just shot after shot of, and this is the director, but shot after the whole looking up from the well thing, where you could tell they just literally put a camera in the bottom of a well. And just shot it because he thought that'd be a cool shot. And no thought about the fact that you can't see anything out of the well. <laughs> it's it was they had a um, one. So the actress who plays the uh, the mayor, who I recognized immediately, she's played a couple different big roles. She was played Pocahontas in the New World, which I watched for a school project one time. But she's been in a lot of big things. She shows up once and says something in the background and then vamooses. And they, there's like this whole subplot of them refusing to sell her, her personally, it sounds like, their land. So she could personally dam up the river and own the dam. I don't, there's a whole subplot of her okay. own on a river, personally, okay. in a small town. Here's what I don't understand about this. This mayor of a small town comes out. Did you know she had personal bodyguards? She had secret service with her. Who were sitting there watching everything? This was the. So where is this woman from? What is going on here? I. What small yeah. town collecting this person? Who who elects that woman to their small town? There? Oh, and then it gets to the. They go to the city hall, which is a huge city hall. This is not. I. Uh, oh, that was yeah. That was the part where I was like, they they're trying to graph too many things together. They didn't need a dam. They don't need a share. They don't need the you know any of this stuff. But instead, with a $6 million budget, they decided to also put a giant government conspiracy on top of everything, too. Yeah, I didn't. I just didn't get it. I didn't understand what was happening. And they, yeah, they just made no effort to tie anything, any of this together. They just threw it all in there and said, oh, it's fine. It's Lovecraft, you know? Well, it kind of reminds me of a lot of the other ones that we've watched, like the B-movies, where like, uh, like well, I'm talking about jujitsu, where the government shows up and they're the military, but it's not really the government. Or the military, it's like five guys and with M16s and, and green shirts on. And they did the same thing here. And it's like everything else looks way more uh it, by putting that in there, it just shines a light on the fact we have no money. <laughs> yeah. Like the guy that's the director. If you were the director and going to what the director did wrong, if you're the director, you cut out the first part. You cut out the whole sheriff's subplot, go ahead and film it. But by gosh, I mean, you, you're the editor. You don't have to put that stuff in there. I mean, I would almost have started with about five minutes. You could have, show Nicholas Cage with his alpacas, just say the show the woman upstairs doing her business, whichever, whatever that was. I, I couldn't remember the just word. I don't even show that either because that was, that was another one they spent a lot of time showing how angry she's getting about losing clients 
And then they show her in client calls on three separate occasions and like a couple minutes of her talking to her clients. And the whole time I'm just thinking who, who runs a business and works remotely and agrees to move to the middle of nowhere and expects it to work out. Okay. Yeah. They're completely surprised the entire time. The phones don't work and the, the phones don't work. The Wi-Fi doesn't work. And it's, it's a stone building with like an old school cellar in it. Like there's no reason. And it's on the river. Like it's in the middle of nowhere. The whole point of the, the place is that it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And then she says things like we have a nice ratio confluence. I, whatever that I, then she, when she goes off the rails though, and she's yelling at him about not having Wi-Fi, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes sense if, if they would have shown the fact that everyone was going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but her character, the whole time, you couldn't really tell, again, like, that could have just been her. Yeah. Like, maybe that's why no one was freaking out, because the whole time we're watching, we're like, oh, you know, the, clearly she's going insane. Maybe that's just who, who she is. I don't know. She very well could have just been that person. That's why it took them till the alpaca monster. Even after the alpaca monster, no one's freaking out. No. They say halfway into the movie, that girl, Lavernia, uh, what's her name? Is it, It's not Lavernia. It's Lavinia. Lavinia, I'm sorry. Looks at her older brother and she goes, we need to leave right now. That's halfway into the movie. And he goes, oh yeah, definitely. But the dog's missing. But even before that, well, rewind that even a little bit earlier. It's like, everything's gone down. The mom and the kid, the mom, they've seen really bad stuff happen. And she looks at her brother and she goes, we have to leave. Let's get ready to leave tonight. Because what you always do when there's a ravenous monster somewhere out there, which I get, you wait till it gets dark and then you go get on your horse and ride away. How about just in the middle of the day, just start walking? But they kind of, I don't know, they did a good job of kind of, the problem was is they kind of did a good job of showing the time dilation going on where the weird, the parents were gone for like a day and then they come back and no one knows how long they've really been gone. And the kid, even the, the son even said that time's working differently because he was gone for what he thought was two minutes. And she said he was gone for two hours. Even that's confusing because then when he points that out, he goes, well, how long has dad even been out there working on the car? But you, he would have been out there for a long time because the car wasn't working. Yeah. And there's a big montage of Nicholas Cage trying to get his car to work. And then I think that's when he finds the llama monster. I don't know. I don't even know when any of this goes on because it, it gets dark and it gets light and it gets dark again, which once again, and then it all apparently happened over the course of 24 hours in real time. Yes. Is what I'm trying to say. Oh. And then, and then, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, all this is going on and it, they just keep doing stupid things all the time. Like, and then the, he was in the shower and that stuff comes out of the shower mm-hmm. and he finishes his shower. What do you, I, it's all just, I, it just keeps going and going. I don't know, but I can see what they're trying to do, but the director isn't good enough to make it happen. And the writer isn't good enough to make it happen. And yeah, it just keeps happening. And Which is crazy because I was reading this, this guy's been trying to get this movie made for years and years and years and years. And finally the, the producer of Mandy agreed to produce it. And who's one of the producers of Mandy? Elijah Wood again. Is it? Yes. He just keeps popping up. Well, they all like, I think they all like the HP Lovecraft stuff going on. And actually, if just as a side note, if anybody wants to watch a like a truly horrifying HP Lovecraft thing is the the Cabinet of Curiosities. Mm-hmm. Like episode five has got an HP Lovecraft one 
which is called Pickman's model, which is it it does everything this movie thinks it's going to do. And you get to the end of it, and it's like I turned off the TV and I didn't watch TV for a day after that because I didn't want to see anything. This one gets really gross. I mean, there's some stuff in it. It's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like the the mother and the son thing is really bad, and a couple other things kind of happen, you know. But I don't know. This one, I the one really cool thing, and I read the trivia and it confirmed this for me. So I took a class on vision and perception in college. Uh, which was incredibly difficult, and I ended up changing it to pass-fail, so I didn't get a D in the class. But Magenta, she talked about Magenta. There was like half a test on Magenta, because you can't actually... Magenta doesn't exist on the color spectrum. It yes. only exists in reference to other colors. So it does look pretty trippy, like out-of-the-world trippy. They did a really good job presenting like the color out-of-space aspect of it. But yeah, I think all the... I don't know. All the creatures and stuff were kind of a letdown. Yeah, and then I, uh, I, there was a couple of fun parts in it too. Though I had like the, uh, <laughs> I like when after the mom becomes the monster and he takes the daughter upstairs, and he, because she just says, "Why can't we just leave?" Just you know, she wants to, and he takes her upstairs after she tries to leave and says, "Okay, uh, now feed your, go feed your mother." And he pushes her. <laughs> it's like a, the, the ultimate double meaning. Uh, well, I mean, he he's turning. I thought that he's turning into like a fish man, right? Like those are like scales appearing because he rubs bourbon on it and then like size and relief. And he is a bourbon connoisseur, so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, everybody's changing differently. Which once again, there's doesn't have to be. I thought the world that they showed too was kind of cool. It was. Yeah, it was very cool at that towards the ending. That's when the scientist sees it, and then he spent he gets to spend the rest of his life being a crazy old man living near a dam. Yeah, I would move. I think I would move away from it. That's like I'd move. I try never to speak about it again. Yeah, go live in a desert where there's no water, and that'd be fine. Instead, he wants to he wants to stay and be the protector. I don't know what he thinks he's gonna do. I think that's everything I got on the writing. I thought yeah. the director was all right. I'll give him credit for like kind of the cool visual aspects of it. Yeah, I just thought there's just so many bad choices with him. Like I said, when they're going when they're going crazy, like when they first see Nicolas Cage, they do that weird close up of him, mm-hmm. where he's just talking to his daughter, and they just keep putting the camera up in his face. And then there's the part where he's I thought it was actually pretty good. He's washing the dishes, and the wife comes up, and they had that huge argument about, and he's yelling at her about the Wi Fi, and they're going back and forth, and then he kind of just switches off and goes, "Okay, well, I'll get on that," and he just keeps going. After it's like he Nicolas Cage is switching gears. And the director's doing nothing but doing like these just shots of him doing it from the back or something. It's not actually, he's not playing up any of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't seem to really know what to do with the, uh, with the star power he was given. What else is this guy directed? Oh, well, this hardware, the Island of Dr. Moreau, he was the writer for those two. This mostly just writing. I don't, what did he direct though? Is that, did he, is that the Island of Dr. Moreau with, with Val Kilmer and Brando? Uh, 96. Oh my gosh. Which is possibly one of the worst movies ever made. Uh, yeah. Brando, Val Kilmer, and David Thewlis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you ever want a, a fun day with that, watch that. I forgot what actors, some of the actors that actually hung around, took the job specifically so they could work with uh, Brando. I think Ron Perlman was one of them. Yeah. He said uh, recently hasn't done a, So his last movie before this was 2013. It's a French film. 
And then the Theater Bazaar was 2011. He only directed a segment. And then his three movies before that don't even have posters. It doesn't look like much of anything after The Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah, I think they kill a lot of careers. It was amazing that Val Kilmer was able to get work after that. It doesn't seem like he did a whole lot before The Island of Dr. Moreau. He was an uncredited director on it, too. Does that mean he got fired from it? Okay, this is a bit of a side. But the original director was fired, went crazy, and then hid on the island where they were filming. Oh. And would show up on set in, like, I think in disguise or something. And was still, it it was a truly bizarre, uh, I mean, they should make a movie about making the movie of it. Val Kilmer was going through a divorce at the time and didn't want to be there, which is why the other guy that that uh, you said that Daniel Theo Rivers, no. which if you see him, you see everyone's seen him in some movies here and there, but yeah, it is a truly just insane set of circumstances that that movie was made under. Yeah, I had stuff like uh, Marlon Brando insisting that the uh, the small uh, small person be dressed exactly like him. And then have a small piano made so they could both play piano together next to each other. <laughs> you wanted Mini Me before Mini Me was a thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Oh, that sounds awful. I I saw it one time. And I keep thinking I should go back and watch that just because it was so crazy. But I, I can't make myself. Outside, I think outside of who we talked to, I thought all the actors were all right. The daughter I thought was the best. Out of all of them, she's only she's been in a few things I've seen before. She was in Supernatural. She's done a lot of supernatural stuff, but she was in Supernatural. Um, and then Snowpiercer, the show, which I liked a lot. And then Devil in Ohio, which is a Netflix limited series that I thought was pretty good too. Yeah, she was good. Um, the rep- the scientist wasn't very good. It's it's pretty bad when Tommy Charles. I like his narration though. I really liked the opening narration. Did you? The narrating voice. And then, yeah, you had the whole thing. What was that? I actually wrote down the last lines. It's like, there are a few of us who can remember the strange days that touched this place. I'm like, it just keeps <laughs> strange days that touch this place or understood. It was like, it can't be quantified or understood by human science. It was just a color out of space, a messenger from realms whose existence stuns the brain and numbs us with gulfs that it throws open before us in our, our frenzied eyes. I, That's really from Lovecraft, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. And it's it's overwrite. That's all he ever did was overwrite, though. Yeah. And this guy's saying, I guess if you're going to do a Lovecraft, you should probably throw that in there. Yeah, I thought the kids were all okay. The youngest kid was bug, bugged me because it's I think it's unfair to say things about young kids sometimes because they're kind of just put in front of the camera and have to do, you know, that's a, he didn't get a whole lot of help. Most of his scenes were with the mom. Yeah. And I don't know, because most of, I think most Nicolas Cage's scenes, I think, were with the daughter. And then the young son was mostly with the mom. And I don't think the mom helped him a, a whole lot in those scenes. He's a weird, awkward kid. But he was, uh, he's one of the kids from Multiverse of Madness. Oh, really? Recognized him immediately. Yeah. Yeah. The other brother was okay as whatever he was. And I, I, you I, the dumbest way to go out in a movie ever, maybe. And no, no, The Rock was maybe the other one where the guy goes, I got to get up there. And he jumps up that hole right after his whole squad was wiped out. Yeah. He jumps, he jumps up and then just gets shot and falls back in the hole immediately. <laughs> that might be the dumbest way anyone's died in a Nicolas Cage movie. But 
the older son was was trying for the award. Well, and then they did the whole thing where he jumped in there. And it's like, oh, something's going to happen, but nothing happened. No, it was just it was like a bright light, and they cut it right. It was it was like a Doctor Who killing, where like the like the alien you see it from the alien's perspective, and like a low like with a magenta color screen over it. He looks at it, and then you go, oh my gosh, something happened to him. So I think most of the actors are okay, and I don't think it's really her fault necessarily. But the mayor, the mayor was awful. she was again though she didn't really interact with anyone it was like they had scenes that wasn't a way to introduce a character (laughs) like it really seemed like they had scenes meant before and meant to be after too and even with the way the girl meets um the scientist seems like he makes a comment about how like oh i was hired to do the water table lines uh like for this whole area yeah, and then he's like surprised to find out part of the land still private land. That seems like it was supposed to be an overarching storyline of like, oh, they refused to sell me this land, and now I'm trying to force them off. Almost like to throw you off the scent of, oh, maybe like maybe something unscrupulous is happening here. Um, and it was just completely cut, except for a couple throwaway lines in the background. Well, and then she shows up with her secret service and her and her security detail and all this other stuff, and she's it's like there, she's a politician. A mayor. It's funny. She had more security than the last movie we watched when the Secretary of Defense was assassinated. <laughs> yeah, Snake Eyes. Oh, yeah. He did have an admiral. It was a different time. Things have changed. I wonder what the guy who was hired as the security guard what was. Is like, okay, you're secure. And he stood there and he did the whole thing. He had his, like, his earpiece in out in the middle of the country. And he has sunglasses on, and he stood there with his hands looking at both sides or anything else, like he was on the West Wing or something. And then they marched back up, and she was in a business suit, and they went, and then they drove off, and I think they actually had two cars, two SUVs or something. Yeah, she went up with the whole posse the first time. And then... She brings back the, um, she brings back the, uh, the news station, too, personally. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that interview was hilarious. And the funny thing is, is if you were in a small town, that's exactly, if you were a news station, of course you go out to see a meteorite that's landed. Well, and then, so during the interview, outside of the bourbon thing, they, they frame the interview like they don't believe them. Because they go, oh, and the meteorite just disappears before we get here? How convenient. There's a giant hole in the ground, like two feet behind them. That's like scorched earth and co- compacted dirt, and that's it. And yeah. they're like, oh, it's so convenient that this thing's gone. And there's weird purple flowers everywhere. But they just, they absolutely cannot believe that there may have been a meteorite that hit the ground. When the mayor, this family, and a scientist are all standing there saying, yeah, we the, just saw, oh, and the sheriff. The sheriff, yeah. Yeah, everybody's seen it. Now, I mean, if they could have done is they could have actually done, had a little scene with the mayor going, hey, it, they go, there's no meteorite. And the sheriff could have, or whoever could have talked to the, News reporter said, "Yeah, screw this guy over." But he didn't even. Need, but they didn't even need to because he was talking anyway. But that I, they took a horror movie that was like a simple horror movie, which is a meteorite lands in a, in a, in a secluded farmyard and changes everybody to weird animals, and then they all die. Why do you need all this other stuff? It was like they were trying to modernize a H.P. Lovecraft film, and it. Uh... <laughs> um, I was just looking since we mentioned the security. The real bummer is they don't 
get credited with anything. So there's uh, two, four, six, eight, 10, 11, 12 humans credited, three of them with rules that don't have names. But there is also two, five, six, 10 animals credited by name <laughs> in this. Four alpacas, G-Spot, the cat, Sam the dog. There's three dogs playing Sam, who was only in maybe three scenes and legitimately looked like a wolf. It ran away. Sam ran away. Yeah. Um, immediately. Smartest animal there. And then Comet the horse, which I didn't realize the name of the horse was Comet. Oh, there's just so much wrong with it. And it's a B movie. I don't want to rip it apart too much. But oh my gosh, it's it, how'd this get a 70? I think what we're looking at is first of all, it didn't go in the movies. I think who'd you say the Metacritics people that scored this was from? Yeah, uh, the top scores from the film stage Washington Post and Hollywood Reporter AV Club. But other than that, it's uh, Cineview Consequence Magazine. Yeah, I just I think it it got the benefit of being a small enough film that most film reviewers didn't look at it. IGN gave it an eighty. Uh well, yeah, I don't. I don't know. IGN is I don't know if they're the most respectable movie reviewers. The Guardian gave it a sixty. That seems high. Yeah, the whole thing looks as if it was dreamed up under influence of a quality batch of LSD. They wish. That's what Mandy looks like. Yeah. The worst review is a 50. Which I would go with a 50. I mean, what, 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 what the point? best is an 88, and there's three of those. <laughs> there's no way this is an 88. RogerEbert.com gave an 88. Oh, why? Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. It's because of the addition of Cage. See? Yeah. Proven the Cage equation once again. Okay. So we have 30 points to work with. Are we ready? I think so. I'm going to go, for me, it's five to the cage stars. I'm going to split it 12 and a half to the writer and 12. No, that's not 30, Malcolm. I gave it five, so I have 25. Yeah, 12 and a half each. Yeah, let's just do that. Since Once again, the writer and the director have uh, shared some time together there. He helped write the mess that he made. So I I think there's a second writer on there too. Uh, Scarlet... Amorous. And then Richard Stanley was the director and the writer also. Yeah, so he could just take the 25 himself. Yeah. We'll let Scarlett off the hook on this. She's probably just trying to help. She probably wrote the book. can have someone too. His writing. I've tried to read his writing so many times. And it's just, he might as well have written the movie. I think I, I really like it. Just completely wasted the premise. And like with H.P. Lovecraft, I used to love his writing when I was in high school, but I think one of the reasons why I liked it so much is because I could copy it and then people would think I could write. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He never never actually explains, it's much like this movie, he never actually explains anything, he just uses big words and goes with it. No, he doesn't really explain it, he doesn't describe any of the creatures, it just, they just exist. And they're the most terrifying thing, it drives him mad. Yes, yes. That's it. Um, so, tentacles. Cool. A lot of tentacles. Cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, this one's up. All right. So that was it. Uh, thank you for joining us with the Cage Equation again. I believe this is our 10th episode of the season. So this will be our, our final one of the season. We may come out with a little bonus episode coming out. Um, 
a little later and before we start the next season. But we'd like to thank everybody for uh, listening. Once again, it's been the Cage Equation with me, Drake Mickelson and Malcolm Mickelson, and we'll see you again real soon.